0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Humanity Jitsu Podcast. Guys, today I'm joined by Brandon Gross. Brandon is a 4 striped brown belt from Hawaii. This episode we talk a lot about him being a smaller guy in his gym and how he has to deal with with bigger and stronger guys. He goes into greater depth on this in his channel, David vs. Goliath BJJ. Also his Instagram page, which will both be linked in the description if you want to check it out. So guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you want to help the Irish Jitsu community and get yourself some awesome nice clothes while you're at it check out superior jiu-jitsu in the description below and use code humanzy 20 that's humanzy 20 in all caps for 20% off a checkout thanks for listening hope you enjoy okay so guys welcome back to the jiu jitsu podcast today would have been episode 89 but the episode from last night fucked up and the audio wasn't great so this is episode 88 brandon gross what's up brandon
1: what's up andrew thanks for having me man i'm excited
0: yeah uh, guys this episode has been a long time in the making because of fucking time zones there's like an, an 11 hour difference and when i'm going to sleep he's all oh can we do the episode now and same thing with me when i hear he's like can we do it episode now because <laughs> but we finally found a time where neither of us are passed out of sleep where we can actually do the episode so <laughs> yeah i'm wide awake
1: here it's uh it's 12 noon so i'm, I'm ready to go
0: yeah, you know, it's uh it's eleven o'clock at night where I'm at, but like I don't go I'm not tired at all. I'm tired of uh I'm tired of all the lockdowns, but what can you do? <laughs> That's not right. tired, right? <laughs> so how's it in uh in, like since we're talking about like how's it in Hawaii? Like how's the situation there?
1: Uh things are back open. Our gym took a pretty big hit during COVID. We were at our peak in memberships, close to two hundred and fifty and when COVID happened we dropped all the way under fifty. And so because of that uh, our owner, you know, I'm one of the head instructors, but I'm not the owner. So our owner made the financial decision to downsize, but you know, thankfully, he was able to find a space where it was actually almost two to three times the size of our old space. So even though we downsized, you know, financially, uh, space-wise, it was actually an upgrade. So kind of a blessing in disguise, and things are starting to pick back up. You know, pick back up now that things are opening up. So, uh, you know. Kids are trickling back in, adults are trickling back in. I popped in on Monday last week, and I think there are about 30, 35 people, uh, you know, and we haven't had a class like that in a long time, so a lot of people out here, because of the lockdown, were just itching to get back in, so it's pretty exciting.
0: Mm. Uh, dude, one thing I miss so much is ginormous classes where, like, you, you don't have any mat space where everyone's rolling on top of each other. I, I, I know it's annoying and all, but I miss that. Well then again, you know how it is, no matter how much mat space you have, you'll find yourself rolling into the wall or rolling off the mat or rolling into someone else. Right. No how, if you literally had an ocean of mats, you'd still bump into people. Like right. it's like some some weird phenomenon. Like it it always happens. <laughs> it's like a yeah. terrible it's like a terrible stand up act, it's like um what's the deal with bumping into people while you're rolling? Right.
1: Like, <laughs> yeah, and that's uh I mean that makes jujitsu exciting, you know? Like during the co, you know, during the pandemic when we're eight, maybe 10 guys max, just not the same training vibe. You know, obviously thankful to be able to still get training in during that time, but yeah, you can't mimic a thriving environment where people are just hungry and excited to be there. So uh, yeah, it's, it's been good.
0: And see like with, with us, when we were training, like uh, when we got back to for a few months before the government decided to shut us down for seven months out of nowhere, but whatever, It was all just the same people every day Because, oh, group A and B this night And all that, you know how it is It'd be the same people You'd never be like, oh, he's in tonight, I'll train with him Or, like, you know how it is When your favourite training partner is there And you got to, before it's been established Who's drilling with who You're like staring them down Like, I'm drilling with him, I'm drilling with him (gasps) You don't want anyone to steal him (laughs) Right, right I think that's the worst uh, That's that's the worst sin in the book In the holy book Stealing someone's drilling partner, just swooping in the last second, and it's like, (laughs) No, I'm drilling with him.
1: Yeah, training partners, man, they're the greatest asset I think we have. Good training partners are crucial.
0: Mm. Oh, man, it's crazy. Like, one time, uh, there's this older gent at the gym, but he's been like wrestling and grappling for donkey years. Like, he's a great guy to train with, and me and another guy both wants to drill with him. Like, we both walked over at the same time and asked him, like, literally at the same time it was like a comedy routine and he's like, oh, how about this? How about you both train together? Because he was like, fuck, <laughs> these <laughs> fucking guys. Yeah. a <laughs> nah, good thing uh, we're both, he was good as well, so, you know, yeah. I, I was deprived of a good uh, drill a sesh. Yeah. But see, Brandon, like one thing I'm curious about each of my guests is how you first got into jiu-jitsu anyway. Like, uh, did you train anything else before starting it or did you just start with jiu-jitsu? Oh yeah.
1: I actually started, um, jiu-jitsu in 2007. Prior to that, I was a baseball player from age six all the way up through high school. And, um, upon graduating, you know, I just, I lost that avenue or that outlet to express myself competitively, you know, playing baseball for so many years, there's, you know 5 days a week you're practicing there's games once or twice a week and you know I had a lot of energy back then I just I needed somewhere to place that competitive drive and energy and so after I graduated high school or right upon graduating high school uh, a buddy of mine asked me to come over and grapple at his house and I didn't even know what grappling was back then and so his sister's uh, boyfriend at the time was fighting MMA here locally in Hawaii and he was showing my buddy uh some moves and you know lo and behold I just showed up and I didn't know that they were already practicing and he was already learning stuff and there we are in his living room and I'm getting choked out by him and we're you know roughly the same size, about five six, you know, one forty five at the time. And uh he's choking me out left and right. And I was like, man, I gotta learn this. And so that kind of sparked my initial interest in jujitsu and You know, right around 2007, UFC, I think Chuck Liddell was a champion at the time. And, you know, UFC was gaining popularity. And so I started watching some UFC. But I remember back then, I you know, it wasn't like how it is today with everything being out there on YouTube. And just, you know, the amount of resources available on instructionals and membership sites and whatnot. Back then, it was my primary avenue of consuming uh, BJJ, you know, knowledge was magazines. And so I remember going to the grocery store with my dad and you know, as he's buying groceries, I'd be in the magazine aisle looking through the latest grappling magazine, <laughs> trying to memorize the moves and take that back and, and try it on my buddies. And so I, it was a lot of backyard grappling for about the first maybe three to six months. And my good buddy, Mikey, from high school, he was actually training at the local academy, which is, you know, five minutes from my house uh, to Helsing Gracie Affiliate excuse me and um he told me hey come on down man if you're gonna train you might as well train professionally i was like no nah, man i'm good yeah. like I'm my thing you know back there grappling and i'm getting pretty good you know uh, i had no i really had no idea uh but because i was having a little bit of success with my buddies you know i was confident that i could learn jujitsu without a actual gym or instructor but uh he kept asking me and he saw us you know at we were with a lot of mutual friends. So saw us, we saw each other at parties and, and whatnot. And he saw me roll a couple times. And then he started, you know, just kept asking me, hey, come on, man, just check out one class. And so I finally mustered up enough courage to walk in. And back then it was different. You know, um, Our our gym now has come through three different owners, but our original owner, it was more of a shark tank back then, man. It was like, I walked in, there's one door, and everybody stares at you when you walk in. Everybody's lined up <laughs> along the walls. It wasn't very family oriented back then. It was kind of more of a Shark Tank, and I was really intimidated. Uh, but you know, threw, threw on a gi, jumped in on the trial class, and um, uh, this you know kid Kawai, who was actually a teenager at the time. Uh, I remember he got he had me in an Americana or a Kimura, and I remember the instructor walked over and he said, "Hey, Kavai take it easy on him. It's his first day. And I was like, man, I'm getting trashed right now by a teenager. Uh, So it was was very humbling experience. But I also remember um, that same night watching uh, the owner, you know, black belt instructor roll with a purple belt and the purple belt almost caught him in a kind of a spin around arm lock. And you know, the black belt instructor ended up kind of flipping his way out and arm locking him. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what the heck just happened? You know, like, that was amazing. (laughs) I got to learn this stuff. And so I got hooked, man. I just, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay consistent and I'm gonna learn. And so part of it, you know, starting was that initial, you know, competitive drive. I needed something to do uh, with my time and energy and, um, you know, not having baseball. The other part of it was getting choked out by my buddy. And then, you know, getting kind of interested through watching uh, that instructor and just being amazed at what jiu-jitsu could do. But, you know, I think the reasons why we start jujitsu and the reasons why we continue jujitsu are often very different. And so I started noticing that as I got better skill-wise, it was also allowing me opportunities to develop character too, you know, perseverance just from having to overcome hard training sessions, getting smashed often, and, you know, just... A lot of the mindset and character development work I noticed really benefited me. And so I was a, I was a kid in high school who, uh, or even in elementary and intermediate school, who always got picked on. I was always the smallest kid in class. You know, I think I was five to 125 pound freshman. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I was, the, I was the easy target, man. And so I, I got picked on a lot physically and verbally. And I never had the confidence to stand up for myself. In fact, I was the type of guy who I never had confidence talking to girls. Uh, I never had confidence even really raising my hand in class to ask a question because I didn't want to draw any extra attention to myself, you know. I was already an easy target. And so I noticed that as I continued to train jujitsu, my own personal confidence uh, started to go up, you know. And um, I ended up applying for a sales job uh, right when I graduated college. And my mom was like, are you sure you want to do sales? You're not very talkative, you know. But I was like, mom, this is a good opportunity for me to learn and grow. Uh, but I feel like jujitsu really gave me that – uh, that avenue or that outlet to, again, express myself and, and my competitive drive, but also to gain a lot of personal confidence, which affected my life in many areas with, um, you know, dating. I'm married today, and uh, I don't think I would have had that confidence to really talk to my my girlfriend and my wife, you know, at the time and um, get into sales. And, and even now, you know, with putting content out there online. And, and so jujitsu had many benefits for me. So the reason why I started and the reason why I stayed, I think were very different, but uh, it all kind of came together nicely. So um, I'm really happy. I've been doing it for 14 years now. Um, yeah, 2007. Yeah, so about 14 years now. Coming up on 14 years this September. And um, been relatively consistent uh, for the last 14 years. I mean, I've managed to stay uh, relatively injury-free, except for my neck you know I have a, I'm de- i've been dealing with a neck injury for the last two years yeah it's another story but um <laughs> how the
0: fuck did you how did you yeah. injure your neck man let me guess uh, is yeah, it a typical so, story of the, some meathead cranking you or did you get like slammed in it no like, you know
1: i've had guys crank on my neck before and my neck always healed you know and um you know obviously you have pains for a couple of days maybe a week even but uh this one was a little different it wasn't a neck crank it actually was Uh, you know, I was an instructor running the adults basic class and, um, kind of more of an aggro, spazzy white belt, uh, freak accident. You know, I just, I ended up spiking my head on the mat. I got rushed into the ER and, um, you know, test came back negative, which was good. Nothing was broken or fractured or anything like that. Um, but you know, to this day, I still have headaches almost every day. So I've been kind of having to navigate my way through that, but, um, you know, it's been a, a learning process, but, you know, compared to a lot of uh, my instructors and a lot of other people that I see, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to go 10 years training jujitsu and not have at least one significant injury. So, you know, I've managed to stay relatively unscathed, but um, yeah, still figuring my way around this neck issue and, you know, I'm optimistic that it'll get better. It's getting better slowly. I just, I just got to be patient.
0: Mm, I see. I'm lucky. I'm only four year. I'm only four years in, I'm going to be training for four years, my knees are a bit sore. It's not like they're like. It's not like I'm crippled like some of these other guys. My ankles are a bit shitty sometimes. That's the that's the price of leg locks, I guess. But one right. guy, I'm, I I bet you one of these days injuries will just hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, and I'll just be injured all over. But like uh, this one guy I know, like since you brought up neck injuries, this dude sort of hurt his neck because okay, so we're all we're doing specifics like uh, passing butterfly, and so you know he's trying to pass my butterfly guard, and he's standing, and I'm you know obviously I'm sitting down. He tries to do a diving Kimura over me. Mind you, he's really tall and really strong, and I'm, like, scrunched up down here. He tries to do a diving Kimura over me, lands right in his head, boom, booms himself into the mat and gives himself a concussion. Oh, jeez. Like, oh. like, <laughs> how do you give yourself a concussion doing a diving move? <laughs> right. That's fucking crazy, man.
1: Yeah. Happens, man. It happens, I think, more often than than we might think, but... That's just the sport that we're in, man. That's what
0: we signed up for. Mm. Uh, dude, like, well, then again, it, it shouldn't really be surprising. I saw that guy who paralyzed himself doing a flying armbar.
1: Right. That's why I'm not a huge fan of flying techniques. Uh, me personally, like, I don't typically jump guard or go for flying armbars, flying triangles and whatnot. I do have shorter legs, but uh, I've, seen, I've seen too many videos, man. Just guys get dumped on their head and it's not worth it.
0: Oh, dude! I seen a girl at a tournament get her shin split in half, like her shin bone broke in half by someone jumping guard on her. Wow! wow. And these were these these two ladies were light, like they were and the, like so. It's just because her weight was on one leg and not the other, and like Jesus Christ! Ooh. I still remember all the screams of agony that day. This is uh, not good. <laughs> yeah, I bet. well, I can't imagine it was good for her either. Getting your shin snapped <laughs> and yeah, it must, wasn't must even the leg. Wasn't even in a leg lock You could kind of You could deal Like that's one thing That's sort of um Find hypocritical About all these tournaments They're all like Oh You can't do Heel hooks Or knee bars At this belt level But you can jump onto Someone's guard And potentially break their legs Because that's fine I know, but you can't do kani pasami. You know that's that's not okay. You can't break their legs with falling body weight that way. <laughs> I know that's it's a bit hypocritical, in my opinion. But I don't jump guard and I don't do flying scissors. so eh, I guess the point is kind of moot, right? What's your opinion on the whole like uh, flying, like you know, the whole kani pasami shit, like the whole flying scissors stuff? Like, what's your thinking?
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think their injuries are not only possible but probable. Uh, especially if you're not doing it correctly, um, not something as an instructor I'd want. You know, early students learning, um, you know, within the first year or even couple years, even. But uh, in MMA and you know, high-level grappling, I'm all for it. You know, it's as mm. as, uh, as a spectator, yeah. I think it's entertaining. You know, it's very so
0: cool. then. especially, um, like I just saw a great video on how to actually do it without fucking injuring people. Like I think if you taught it. And showed it to people, and showed people how to deal with it, how to react to it. It'd be a lot safer. That's a big if, right. though. I seen the video of it being used as a single leg counter. You just weave the foot in and have the other foot behind. You know, you, while they're single legging you, you just do the kani Basami to them. Like, that's that's pretty cool. Because you know, yeah. it's not like you're just leaping into them. You're already attached to them, and they're already like bent down. So it's not like. It won't be a devastating injury if anything goes wrong, right? Right, because you know, we've all seen the video of Yamashita. Like, this is the reason it was banned. Like, back in the day, the judo tournament, Yamashita broke his ankle because someone done it to him.
1: Yeah, I think even in MMA, it was Anderson Silva and uh Yushin Okami, I think back in the day, oh, oh. yeah, um, not, so I think cool. it might have been somebody else, but yeah, yeah, that was, I mean, deadly technique, man,
0: and <laughs> dude, man. Oh, I'm like that's the people forget like the whole stigma around it. it's like oh yeah you know you'll break people's legs like that's the point you're using it to get into leg locks like obviously <laughs> don't try don't try to break their legs in half right with, with the takedown just get into saddle and break right. the foot off
1: <laughs> yeah competition you know again as a spectator i love watching it and competition i think it's great um just don't want to see too many of my students personally doing it inside the gym and getting injured you know it's, um, I think that's one of the things that can deter people from continuing jujitsu is too many injuries too soon uh, in their journey. You know, yeah. it's, a person walks in on their first day of class and they're getting mauled already. Uh, a lot of people can't handle that, man. Even out here locally, like we have a lot of, you know, we have a fighting culture just like you guys do have in Ireland. There's a lot of tough guys, but I would see a lot of guys from high school that were known for being tough and for being fighters. And they would come in and, they would get mauled by our instructors and and you know, like mauled nicely, you know, like yeah. not full on, you know, aggro mauled, but just tapped out in a uh, you know, a semi-brutal way, I guess. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, they would never stick, man. Those guys would only last a couple of months if that, and and they would bounce. So um, you know, I think it's not only a testament to the person, you know, because it varies from person to person and how tough they are coming into the jujitsu for the first time, but just the fact that they're, you know, they're having to overcome that physical adversity too much too soon. I think it, it deters them from continuing.
0: Mm. Plus, like, you know, if, if, they're, if they're, like you said, oh, they're tough and like, they're, they're known for being fighters. If, they, if, you know, if, if you have that perception of yourself, oh, yeah, I'm tough and I can beat anyone in a fight. And you come into a jiu-jitsu gym and get the shit kicked out of you. You're like, oh, shit you know, it'd either go one of two ways, you know, you, like you said, you want to learn it, you want to get, get really good, or you'll just say, I don't want to feel like a chump again or get beaten up again. So I'm not going to come back ever. You know, right. there's, only, there's only really two ways it can go.
1: Yeah. I think that has a lot to do with your, your pride, <laughs> how you see yourself, you know? So <laughs> some guys are, they're too proud or they, they don't you know, they don't want to start from fresh, you know, and get beat up all over again because they see themselves as, as a tough guy already. But, on the flip side of that, you know, some guys are a lot more humble. Just kind of, as you alluded to, and they get beat up, and they're like, "Man, I gotta learn this," you know. Mm. So, yeah, I, 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 I want to get beat
0: up. I want to get beat up some more. That'd be cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like like once I, you know, the only thing you can really say when someone hits you with a really good choke or just armbars the shit out of you, just say, "Thanks, man." <laughs> that's like that's such a weird reaction. Like immediately after getting choked, I'd get up say like. Even just the way I get up, like do you ever see like a zombie when they're on the table and it just rays up without like just like a dead body just coming up? I do that after being choked to freak people out. Yeah. And then I was like, Oh, thanks, good choke. <laughs> I don't ha I don't have a problem. I don't like getting choked. That's that's weird. Also, <laughs> uh, so Brendan, like I, I added this question a while back and like I always liked hearing what people say about it, but like um uh, <clears throat> is there anything in particular about the jiu-jitsu community that you don't like and that you change if you could like, do you ever, like uh, I, I know like you're on the, uh, on, in, in all the Facebook groups like, like me and like uh, you, you look at posts and like, and comment on them a lot. Is there anything you see in like those groups, for example, that just annoys the shit out of you?
1: Um, you know, I, I can give you an example with putting content out there, you know, on YouTube you know, I'm a four stripe Brown belt. And I think I had similar feelings that you expressed uh, before this call, um, in that, you know, when you, you're you not a black belt, people look at you teaching moves, and they're like, why is this guy showing moves, you know? And, and I think people automatically judge you and your credibility based on your belt, which isn't always the case, you know? And so, still to this day, I can learn techniques from a blue belt or even a white belt sometimes, you know? And um, with putting content out there, sometimes... You know, I'll post something and people say automatically say, Oh, that doesn't work. You know, and, and I'm like, okay, well, did you even try it? And you know, all those guys who write those comments yeah. probably never even tried it. They Dude, I just it.
0: I just stand up, I right? Bite, it, I bite him or punch him in the groin. They judge it before they even
1: see it, or they, they before they even try it, rather. And um, you know, I laugh because I know where I learned the technique from and jujitsu is a bunch of You know, techniques that are being remixed, right? Nobody really invented one move per se. Like, we're all learning moves from each other, adapting it for our body and our style, and then kind of reteaching it the way that makes sense to us. But I think it's, you know, kind of ironic that I would learn moves, let's say, from, you know, Marcelo Garcia. I I was a paying member of his membership site a few years back. And like, you know, I still remember a lot of those moves. And so I'd reteach that and, you know, show it on YouTube, for example. And, oh, that doesn't work. And I'm just laughing in my head because I was like, I learned that directly from Marcelo, you know. So, <laughs> so I think, like, um, you know, just... and I don't, I don't think that's necessarily just a jujitsu community thing. But, you know, people are quick to judge something that um, they don't think is going to work. But uh, if I had to pick out something that I didn't like, I guess it would be that
0: now see I don't I really don't get the whole aversion of like I don't know about you but if a brown belt is showing me a move I fucking listen like brown and black belts are fucking I, I, I don't know if these people have gotten the memos brown and black belts are they're good at jiu-jitsu so if they're showing you a move you should probably listen and take it into account now if you you know if a purple belt's showing you a move if it's a good purple belt listen even if they're not a good they put in a lot of time to warn into purple belts if it's a blue belt showing you a move you know if it you know give it a bit of scrutiny and if it's a white belt showing you a move bruh yeah, <laughs> unless no. they're white belt world champion I don't want to hear <laughs> a word off of them. Yeah
1: well even if it's a black belt, you know even if that's a black a belt is showing you good techniques and that technique might not work for you. You know that, that technique might work for that particular black belt, but just because they're a black belt doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that that's a good technique for your game. You know and so I think that um that's one thing that I try to remind myself of, but also, you know, share with my students at times is you kind of have to have your own filtering system, you know, and and the problem nowadays isn't that there's a lack of technique. All right. Back then we were trying to figure out what is everybody doing across, you know, you know, the world with jujitsu, but now we know we, we see a lot, we see too much, you know, at times yeah. to the point where you know, it's too much information and not enough application.
0: Yeah, you know? that, that's a big problem. Like on Instagram, you see all these like there's so many fucking flashy, stupid moves, and I notice a lot of them. They aren't being caught in competition. There's plenty of these highlight reel competition things, which is fine. Shows that it works against someone who's fucking resisting. But lots of these are just them drilling a move in in the gym. Like, okay, that's that looks cool and it's a good theory, theoretical move, but like. Show me, he, like, a, I, I'd see this YouTube channel, I like, don't oh, want to name names, but, like, he'd always show, oh, cool moves and cool submissions from everywhere. Oh, there's a weird choke from here, from bottom side control, or fucking bottom mount, here's an arm lock. But then someone just commented, show us you're doing this and dr- rolling. Right. You always, you always say, <clears throat> you're dr- oh, you, I'm dr- well, you're drilling, you can do this, 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 and here, but you've never once ever shown you doing it in rolling. So, like, right. you know. What issue? Yeah, it's and- kind of a,
1: a fine line or like a balancing act, you know, when it comes to putting stuff out there online. And, you know, I'm just speaking from experience having uh, posting on YouTube for, you know, eight, eight months or however long it's been now. But um, it's, a, it's a balancing act between getting eyeballs and views, you know, and caring about the analytics and actually bringing people to your channel or your Instagram or whatever platform you're on and showing moves that actually work because the, the basics are boring yeah, you know? so like are. if i'm just gonna post the basics that really doesn't get a whole lot of viewership you know and um so i, I can't fault people for wanting to show more flashy stuff because that's what grabs people's attention um but yeah at the same time you know uh anytime you put content out there you're gonna be subject to scrutiny but um you know with those flashy moves sometimes it works and they're great you know and sometimes it's like uh, i don't know again you have to have your own filtering system and, and kind of try it out for yourself mm.
0: now, to be fair people like you said the fundamentals are pretty boring like no one wants to do a fucking bullfighter or an x pass they want to do a fucking a uh, surfboard pass or some weird ass leg stomp passes not hating i love leg stomp passes they're really cool but like you know do some bullfighters passes they're fucking decent as well right like, right Especially, this will put them together. Do you ever see the reverse bullfighter when you're doing the leg stomp passes, like the Ruotola brothers? They're so fucking cool, man. Mm. And then you're just in north-south straight away. Right, right. Uh, I know a certain person on a certain episode of a certain podcast who likes north-south. I wonder who he is. (laughs) Um, Dude, what's like, um, I just want to pry real quick, like, because... I used to be good at North South, but I've just never haven't done it in months and months and months. Like, what's your sort of like, um, do you have like a good, good sequence from North South? Like, do you have a whole bunch? Like, what's your favorite thing to be hitting in North South, whether it's Gi North, or no
1: North South choke. You know, oh, I saw Jeff, fuck. I saw Jeff, I saw Jeff Munson do that, uh, in the UFC way back when, and I was like, what did he just do? And, and, uh, and then, you know, Marcelo Garcia is one of my, um, you know, favorite grapplers of all time that I like to emulate just because our our body types are similar. Um, And North-South chokes, man, he does that a lot, or teaches that a lot, at least, you know, and um, I found it to be pretty effective. And a lot of times guys, when they're not comfortable, especially from North-South, you know, they'll try to get their knees back in the game, get their legs back in the game. But uh, there's a lot of opportunities when guys lift their head. Uh, There's also a technique that I like to use where I kind of shelve my knee and, and force their head up. But once their head comes off the mat from north-south position, that's typically when I look to wrap it and and kind of lock it up. But, um yeah, north-south choke's got to be my favorite from that position.
0: Man, I tell you, I never I, – I, I put people into it occasionally when I am playing around with north-south. If I don't Kimura them or put them in the bread cutter choke – Or, sorry, paper cutter, different one. But, like, see, I'd put them into it, but it would never, ever work. But, like, I'd be so frustrated, I'd want to put them into a dragon sleeper. You know, uh, dragon sleepers. That was, man, ooh. I, would, I wouldn't wish the dragon sleeper upon my worst enemy. Like, Jesus Christ, that's the most brutal neck crank in the fucking world, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah.
1: show me that one. I'm not too familiar with that term, actually. I know we call stuff different out here in Hawaii, too, so maybe I right. might have... But...
0: <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> it's just... You have the, the north-south choke, you, like, raise them up, connect their hands, so, like, their head isn't here, and their head their their neck is here, and their head's coming out the back. And you, like, throw in your hooks and, like, extend. Oh, okay, so, like, that's okay. so, like... like their arms are over this, and you're, like, neck cranking them. Yeah, that's oh, an ass one. It's the worst neck crank in the world, in my opinion. I'll send you a video in case I'm explaining it badly, but, like, it's, it's horrible.
1: No, I, I have an idea. I have an idea. You're basically jumping a guillotine, but he's
0: upside down, like, in north-south. Yeah. yeah. Ooh. <laughs> like, you know it's crazy? I showed one of my friends at one time, and, like, uh, just a just dragon sleeper, and he's a, he's a white belt. And then I showed him a mounted guillotine. And he you know what he's like, oh dude, what's that? Is that a reverse dragon sleeper from Mount? I'm like, <laughs> no, <it's>, no. <laughs> what the fuck, man? Why did I show you a dragon sleeper? Like, you know, is that a reverse dragon sleeper from North from Mount? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't be showing him neck cranks man. from fucking north. So oh, man. So Brandon, one one thing always asked coaches when they come on here because I always like to pick their brains about how they sort of teach. So, like, say it's like a day one class for, like, a new beginner's group. What would you say is the first thing, technique, concept, or move you should instill in a new class? What's your guys thinking?
1: Man, that's, a great, that's a great question, and I think I could go in a bunch of different directions with it. But I, I would say, you know, as a coach, I try to help people, new people, have proper expectations you know and um i think that's where a lot of people end up quitting is when expectations are all the way up here and then reality is somewhere down here you know that's yeah
0: like someone coming in thinking they're going to be the next ufc champ in, ne- in less than a year mike i got some bad oh. news for you buddy you know right. you know how it is but even
1: uh working with um you know I-, I started a program recently where i'm actually doing some coaching online and um I won't say my student's name, but he trains out in Utah. And, um, you know, he's expressed to me that he doesn't know how long it's going to take him to get to blue belt. And that's his, you know, one of his first goals is to go from white to blue belt. And um, there's just there's no expectations. Like he doesn't know how long it's going to take him, you know, exactly how many classes he has to go to or what's required. And I I know the promotion system in jujitsu varies from gym to gym. Um, and you know, instructor, instructor, um, and I, and I'm not dogging on how one gym does it, um, over another, not at all. But what I'm saying is a lot of times students walk in and they have no idea what their expectations are to get to the next level. Mm. And, you know, take college, for example, it's like, why would you go to college without ever knowing how long it's going to take you to get a degree? Mm. So just trying to help newbies you know newcomers kind of set the right expectations when they're training because when they're not meeting you know sometimes it's external expectations that the gym puts on them or sometimes it's the lack of explanation of those expectations but a lot of times it's also their own personal expectations of man i was an athlete i feel like i should be here by now you know Mm -hmm. or i have no athletic background at all you know, can I even do this? And it's just helping people manage that expectations and the reality, and and coaching them through it. Um, I, I heard this statistic from the Gracie brothers, um, Henry and Hedon, and uh, I think this the statistic they share is ninety percent of white belts never end up making it to blue belt. And we're like, why is that? You know, if we're exposed to the same instructor, the same technique, you know, we're in the same gym. Let's say, why is it that? 90, you know, 90 out of 100 people quit and only 10 people make it to Blue Belt. And so for me, I like to summarize it into three things, and this is just kind of my thing, but strategy, mindset, and accountability. Mm. Strategy meaning a lot of gyms, and, and just based on my experience and what I've seen, will teach too much technique or the focus is on technique rather than big picture strategy. And so a lot of white belts get lost in, okay, put your left hand here, your right arm goes here, drop your hips here, and do this here. And they're like, whoa, you know, what's going on? And if you ask them, what are you trying to do from this position? You know, they freeze, and they're like, I don't know. Like, they're missing that big picture strategy. And what's the overall objective goal or strategy that I'm trying to accomplish? And once they understand that, then I notice it's a little bit easier to hone in and then teach technique. Hmm. And also when it comes to strategy it's having a personal strategy that's kind of catered to you you know again you can learn all these cool moves but again based on your physical limitations let's say you know i have a student that i'm working with right now he has a left hip problem and his feet kind of roll in underneath themselves uh, and he has to make adjustments to that he can't do triangles like a normal person would um and you know kind of go into a a knee slice pass on a certain side. So it's, it's being able to come up with a strategy that's customized, personalized for that individual's person's needs and where they're at. And so that's, that's the strategy side of things. And then mindset, you know, a lot of people just, again, when we get back to expectations or how they deal with defeat, um, you know, mindsets for um, competition or, you know, nutrition, like, you know, a lot of it is, is, is up here. You know, what we're dealing with and our thoughts going on that is going to help us get to the next level. And then last is accountability. I feel like when so students are so new, they haven't made it a a point to adapt it to their lifestyle yet, you mm-hmm. know? So, it's it's something that they're still kind of figuring out if they like it, you know, they're checking it out, but they haven't gotten into a routine yet. So it's helping new students, you know, develop routines and habits that's going to get them to stick for a longer period of time. Um, and then usually, even through blue belt, sometimes you see a lot of people drop off in blue belt. Purple belt and then brown belt is less and less. And I think that's because at that point, you've kind of already made it a part of your lifestyle. You know, it took me... I think six years, um, to get a purple belt. And at that point, like I was already showing up to the gym, like a minimum twice a week at the time, you know? And, um, it was just, that's what my schedule allowed me to do is train at least twice a week, if not more. But, um, by that time, having gone twice a week for six years, I got to a point where it's already a part of my lifestyle. So if I don't go to the gym, <laughs> it feels weird. Yeah. i would know, like, yeah, get, You know, aggro or kind of aggressive at home, bad mood, and my wife would be like, "Go train," you know, like she knows that (laughs) it's good for me. No, but I got to that point where it's a part of my lifestyle,
0: and I've never, I've never ever heard someone's wife say, "Go train."
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's funny funny because uh, when uh, when we first had our our daughter three years ago, a lot of my buddies are like, I'll see you in a couple years, man. You're not going to be able to train. I was like, you guys don't understand my wife. You know, she's super cool. Like, she wants me to train. And I know there's a lot of wives, I'm sure, that are like that out there too. But uh, it was kind of funny because when my daughter came, it wasn't my wife. My wife still wanted me to train. It was me, man. I was looking at that baby girl going, I just want to stay home and spend extra time with you, you know. So, <laughs> and my, I don't, don't
0: want to go sparring tonight. <laughs> <laughs> my
1: upside down but um yeah getting back to the strategy mindset and accountability uh, because a lot of new students haven't made it a part of their lifestyle yet accountability I've noticed helps a lot you know and so a lot of people don't want like the idea of being micromanaged you know and it's not being micromanaged my my definition of accountability is helping people do what they say they want to do Hmm. right so if they're telling me as a you know, as a student, they're saying, hey, coach, you know, I want to get to the next level and I want to come twice a week, you know, uh, how helpful it is that if they miss a class, just shooting them a text message saying, hey, how's it going? You know, I noticed you missed class tonight. Everything okay. You know, something as small as that can go a long way just to keep somebody accountable and keep them on track. Uh, mm-hmm. to, again, what they say they wanted to do. So that's kind of what I look at with, um, my coaching program is again, strategy, mindset, accountability. Those are the three things that I focus on because I feel like those are the three areas or main pillars that a lot of, um, you know, academies or instructors as a whole are missing. And so, um, I hope that answers your question, but I know I kind of, I went a little over there.
0: Oh, that's pretty good. Now to get more specific, but like say it's just a regular class for you, like, what would you say you'd emphasize most, would it be drilling, rolling, or positional sparring? Like what's your sort of, out of them three, which would you emphasize the most? I'd say for uh, white belts,
1: um, you know, drilling, yeah, everybody says, go drill, go drill, go drill, and it helps, and it does. I'm a huge advocate of doing that, but if you're drilling the move wrong, it does you no good. You know, people say practice makes perfect. I don't think that's true. You know, I think perfect practice makes perfect. And so if you got, you know, two white belts, let's say, who don't really understand the move that well yet, and they're drilling with each other, and maybe they're coming to an open mat and they're drilling with each other. Uh, again, I guess that's, that's good, but if they're drilling it wrong, I think it can actually be, do more harm than good. And so if they're going to drill, I'd say drill with a higher belt. That way they mm-hmm. can kind of walk you through some of the steps or drill in front of your instructor so you can get feedback. Um but yeah I'm a huge uh, advocate of drilling but drilling under the right circumstances but um you know when it comes to positional sparring or rolling I would put more emphasis on positional sparring uh just because again when you're brand new you don't know how to piece everything together you know mm. what do I do from mount what do I do from half guard what do I do from full guard what do I do from you know back mount like you're still piecing your game together so I think there's a lot of value in positional sparring and typically at our gym, like you'll learn a technique and then we positional spar and then class might end. And then, you know, you can stay if you want and do live sparring. But, you know, it wasn't like that before. Before it would just be learn a technique, live spar. And a lot of times would live spar and then I'm not even ending up in the positions that we, we were taught that night. Yeah. And I, think, I think a lot of a lot of time is wasted. And so. You know, that's how it was. You know, when I first started training, things were a little bit more unstructured, unorganized. Uh, we've come a long way, as I'm sure a lot of gyms, you know, out there around the world have as well. Um, but, you know, if I had to rank it in an uh, order of importance, um, I would, I think, you know, for the beginner beginners, it'd be positional sparring,
0: drilling, and then live rolling. Mm. now it makes sense like why wouldn't you do positional sparring like okay let's just say the technique of the night is like a choke from the back say it's like just a back cho- yeah, just a collar choke from the back and then you just don't do back specifics you just get thrown to the wolves in like regular sparring unless you say to your your partner can i start in your back or do you want to start in my back you got to fucking pastor guard take their back and then try and do the technique for it to work and then right. guess what whether it works or doesn't work you gotta do that again. Try pass the guard again. Take his back again, and try work the move again. <laughs> like, why? W- it does make sense to me. Like, why people wouldn't do positional sparring? Like, it's so helpful. Like, right. I know pl- I know plenty of high level dudes, and they keep telling me the same thing. Like, for big chunks and big periods of when they're training, they'd never do like regular sparring. They'd only do positional sparring. Like one guy who's really good at the back. He's like, man, all I would do is back. Or these guys are like leg locks. Like, all I do is 50-50. That's zero in on that. Like, that's all they do. Instead of just, you know, oh, I might get into this position or I might not. No, I'm in this position and I'm working. It's focused. Right. right. Yeah, I think that's a great way of training. Mm. Like, sorry to go off on, on a tangent there. But, no, no. You're good. <laughs> uh, you know, I, uh, so dude, like, uh, ooh, uh here's another one. Do you have any advice for future coaches and stuff? Like, any pitfalls or sort of... Things you you yeah you, you, uh, you things yeah I'll cut this brother things you should avoid like mistakes you've made that for other people should avoid that you've learned from
1: uh, as a coach you mean
0: yeah as a coach
1: as a coach to other coaches um I think I would say you know and I I've heard Marcelo Garcia uh, comment on this in that when it comes to training for high level competition and running an academy simultaneously that's very difficult to do because you have to worry about your own game, but then you're taking on the responsibility of, you know, everyone else's success also. And so, you know, I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure when he was training for competition, you know, you're having to put your, your students to the side for a bit and just focus on you. And then when it got to a certain point, uh, I, you know, when he was competing for many years, he gave up the competition scene and he wanted to just focus hundred percent on his Academy. And um, I would say I, I experienced that myself because I was still competing. You know, I did a fight to win at the end of 2019 while I was still coaching at that time, I think, four or five night, five classes a week. And um, I was able to pull it off, but I got so burnt out, man. It was crazy. You know, I didn't take enough time for myself to, um, you know, just – my life was unbalanced with family, with, with work and everything else going on, you know, the gym and, and trying to compete, doing it all at the same time. It was a little overwhelming for me. And so I'm not saying that, you know, to the listeners out there that it can't be done. I'm just saying that, you know, it's easy to get sucked into taking on a lot. And that's kind of my personality too. I'm more of a type A personality, Um, very goal oriented and, and task oriented, but I took on too much, man, to the point where I, I mean, I, I I realized it, but at the same time, I didn't realize what it was going to do to me. And so I ended up, you know, going through a a whole year, basically of having to deal with symptoms of burnout. Um, you know, I was mildly depressed and I was going through some health, other health issues along with my neck, but I attribute a lot of that to just being overworked at the time. And so I guess my advice again, to kind of summarize for um, you know, more so new instructors because I feel like experienced instructors probably know this already. But for new instructors, just making sure that they have balance and priorities set in place, and um, making sure they're taking times for themselves. Because you know, I had to take a step away from coaching for a bit because you know my life was a mess. And and we can only do so much for other people. Right? Or what's the analogy when you go flying? Right, it's like put your own oxygen mask on first before you help anyone else. Mm. Uh, I was unable to help other people because I didn't do that, and so that would be my biggest um, piece of advice uh, to new coaches out
0: there. Mm. Now that's a pretty good one, man. Because you know, how are you gonna how are you gonna help anyone else if you can't help yourself, right, uh, dude? And the uh, last question for the segment of coaches, I always love asking people this question because they always get, a, they always get, they always have to take a minute. Uh, man, what would you say? Is the most important value that you've instilled in, that you guys have instilled in your gym environment?
1: Mm, that's a great question. As far as um, what value we've instilled into new students, mm. um, you know what I—I am I, not sure, man. I would have to think about that a little bit. That's a tough <laughs> question, but I can say just for me personally, based on my again personality and coaching style, that um, you know, when it comes to helping and coaching other people, it's just perseverance, you know, it's showing up when you don't feel like it, it's coming back, even though you got beat up the night before it's just continuing the journey and continuing to do what we know is good for us. Mm. And so, you know, a, a lot of times, um, yeah, I've heard this quote, um, I think from the Gracie brothers also, but you know, jujitsu is good for you, so don't worry about being good at jujitsu. jitsu is good for you, and you know, having gone through some injuries and my health stuff last year, it was like, man, I don't, I don't always feel like going to the gym, you know. But I had to remind myself, like, jujitsu is good for you. Like, even if you don't feel like you're good at jujitsu in this season, and you know, it's been a prolonged season for me. It's like jujitsu is still good for you, and so just adopting that mentality and adopting uh, perseverance
0: to keep going hmm that's a good one man and so guys we've reached a segment of the podcast like to call a round of specifics just a bunch of random questions some about jiu-jitsu some aren't about jiu-jitsu so brandon do you want to do a round of specifics
1: yeah yeah (laughs) let's fire away
0: awesome man what would you say is to fit your favorite key in your collection if you have one
1: (laughs) um right now i actually got sponsored for um my last fight to win at the end of 2019 so i'm rocking day by day jiu-jitsu um i know this isn't really a sponsored segment but i'm gonna promote day by day jiu-jitsu because uh aj's uh one of the black belts out here in hawaii super nice guy and uh i love his brand man. i love what day by day you know jiu-jitsu stands for you know it's the path to black belt it's just taking it one day at a time and it's like biting that elephant you know how do you how do you take down that big elephant one one bite at a time and so um just kind of adopting that mentality but um i would say my my newest uh black day-by-day
0: jiu-jitsu gear is my favorite mm. i'd look see because i saw they were in the description of your channel and man their gear is pretty good i'm uh i'm liking their gear it's pretty nice yeah they got some pretty cool stuff man Mm. oh man um uh, would you say is there any movie that you describe as underrated like you like this movie but no one else does and <laughs> you, wish, you wish you got the love and respect it it deserves
1: oh man i'm 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 known for being the guy who doesn't always understand movie quotes so when a lot of my friends will quote movie lines i'm like i don't know what you guys are talking about <laughs> uh so i'm not super up to date with that stuff but um just off the top of my head, one of my favorite movies of all time is Blue Streak uh, with Martin Lawrence. And uh, I don't know, that one's just a funny one, man. If you guys haven't checked that out, I'd recommend it.
0: <laughs> man, Martin Lawrence. I know the name, but like the, his face is escaping me. What else was he in? Was he in, uh, was he in that movie, Big Mama's House, where he pretends uh, to be a where he pretends yeah. to be a a big a fat old black woman i'm like yeah.
1: yeah i believe so i believe so
0: yeah that guy That's that guy's guy but... fucking hilarious that guy's really <laughs> yeah. funny yeah <laughs> that guy's so funny oh dude uh what would you say what was your favorite tv show when you were growing up what sort of weird television did they have in hawaii when you were a kid
1: <laughs> oh man growing up um the first show that comes to my head is smart guy i don't even remember the um the main actor's name but he's basically a kid genius and he's supposed to be in i think elementary school and he's in high school with his brother and sister so um i think that was on on disney i believe uh i used to watch that all the time as a kid
0: oh uh, you know they, you know they remade it but in like brooklyn oh it's really called, it's called wise it's called wise guy over here oh, okay. <laughs> it's called... i didn't know uh, that no, it, it was, that was just a terrible attempt at a joke. They didn't oh, make okay. it. <laughs> okay. It's called the wise guy over here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, what would you say is the most your most embarrassing injury, Not whether it's a jiu-jitsu injury or a non-jiu-jitsu injury, just the way you got injured was so fucking ridiculous that you're like, oh, my God. It, it keeps you awake at night sometimes.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Um, I remember I used to work for uh, Summer Fun, and uh, A Plus is like after school program where you watch kids. So I used to watch kids on uh, my college years. And um, one day, one of the boys I was watching got a ball stuck up on a gutter, and I was like, "Easy, I can get that. I can jump." You know. So I jumped up to reach for the ball in the gutter, and I pulled the ball out, and I sliced my finger, and it was really bad, man. I was embarrassed. I was like, "I can't believe that happened." And I still have a scar on my finger till this day that reminds me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that'll, that'll be the first thing that comes to my mind.
0: Uh, oh, dude, that's nowhere near as bad. I saw this picture one time and it fucking, it, it fucked me up. This guy, he was wearing like uh, he was wearing a ring on his, uh, on his finger, obviously, cause he's married. He jumped over a fence. This bit of the fence got caught in his ring, tore off all the skin on his fucking finger. Oh, you geez. could see his bone, like, it looked like he was a fucking, looks like his, his hand was skeletal. It was just, cause it was, you could see the bone and shit. just skin of his finger just hanging there like a, like a, like a fucking empty condom or something that's so weird looking <laughs> so
1: that's weird. Smart, crazy
0: that's a terrible analogy but whatever oh, man. what was your first video game console what was your favorite game on it
1: oh man uh i remember playing super nintendo back in the day just mario kart uh and you know as i got a little older i think n64 came out and then uh smash brothers super smash brothers
0: Dude, is there anything better? Like, I, I, I'm still on board at Mario Kart. Mario Kart is the shit. Like, I still have a Wii. I still love Mario Kart Wii. And man, it's still fun to this day. And like, I'm, I'm guys. No one who comes over can beat me at Mario Kart. I'm undefeated. <laughs> I'm undefeated at Mario Kart. Like. <laughs>
1: Blackout I, World Champion Mario Kart. Yeah. Yeah,
0: come at me. No, I should, just get, I should just get my red belt in Mario Kart since I'm just better than all, all these peons. Like, they look like they're nothing to me. <laughs> oh, my God.
1: He said, uh, if you said Super Smash Brother, I'm going to have to... Uh fly over to ireland and, and challenge you on that one man
0: <laughs> oh no no thanks i'm, I'm not doing that <laughs> it's like saying you're uh, like you're it's like if you, these guys do jiu-jitsu but they know no takedowns like yeah i can beat anyone in a grappling match and then a the wrestler's like do you want to do a wrestling match like no yeah. no <laughs> learn some takedowns motherfucker <laughs> go to go to a judo class or something yeah Speaking of which, that's the next question. What would you favor more, wrestling-based takedowns or judo-based takedowns?
1: Uh, Me personally, again, I'm shorter and stockier build. And I also have more experience with wrestling. I didn't wrestle in high school, but I was fortunate enough to have a really good wrestling coach at our jujitsu gym who catered the takedowns and even some of the mat work jujitsu not just for pure wrestling so i was learning wrestling through a pretty interesting uh, filter or lens um, because coach mike um yeah he coached his son to be a four-time state judo and wrestling champ um and he trained jujitsu with us he was a police officer he was i think in his late 40s maybe when i started working with him um but you know, he, he would get in there with us and, and do takedowns and do some mat work with. But just the fact that he had um, experience in all of them kind of helped me learn. Uh, so I'm a big fan of judo too. I just, when it comes to throws with the gi on, I'm not as um, adept with that. Opposed to no gi wrestling, I feel a little bit more comfortable.
0: Now mm. uh, see, I, I just fucking hate shooting because my knees are shit. Like if it's if it's if it's any takedown, as long as I don't have to shoot, I'm grand. I like body lock t- trips and stuff, arm drags. I'm their man. And my favorite front headlock, just fling him on the ground, get the turtle. Love me some of that. Because
1: yeah, yeah,
0: all I got to my name is my anaconda, my Daris, and Peruvian neckties, mm-hmm. D- dude. did you ever see put someone into a Peruvian necktie? Because it's it's a very rare and exotic submission. People are like, what the fuck was that? Because it's so crazy.
1: Right. Yeah, it's not something I hit very often, but I've experimented with it a bit in the past, yeah.
0: <laughs> I mess around with it from occasion. I uh, do Oh, have you ever been on a really terrible date?
1: You know what, man, that's a great question, but I'd have to say no. Uh, I actually wasn't allowed to date in high school, and when I dated in college, um my first day was with my wife today, so I only had one girlfriend and
0: <laughs> yeah, one, uh, one. I school wouldn't school go with talking about wife, the terrible dates to my there. mom. <laughs> All right. Uh, do, do you have any nicknames inside the gym? Like, what does everyone call you?
1: Um, just B. People just call me B or Coach B. But um, uh, growing up, a little B since I was I was a really small kid. Um, <laughs> the B, <laughs> yeah. Uh, or BG because my last name is Gross, so people would just say BG.
0: <laughs> Boy BG, do you like the BGs? Yeah. <laughs> I hope you're staying alive, bro. <laughs> yeah. oh man oh if you could time travel to any historical period where would you go and why
1: oh man you got some great questions um time travel any time any time in place or yeah. just any time
0: any time in place and uh... it's consequence free so if you change something it won't affect the timeline you come from like because that's <laughs> what time travel should work because this isn't yeah this, um
1: I'm going to get a little deeper on you than just a lighthearted question. I would go back to um, 2006, October. Uh, one of my, my best friends had a tragic skateboarding accident, and I was, I was right there, and I felt like I could have stopped him. And, and uh, I, I watched him fall and he ended up passing away. So I would say if I could time travel, I would go back to that time and uh, save him. Yeah, or get, you know, get him to not skateboard down that hill. Mm.
0: no that's good man because that's the first time anyone's answered that question and it hasn't been oh i'd go back to the roman times and kill some gladiators or i'd go <laughs> ki- fight some samurais like whoa and an, a non-selfish use of time travel say it ain't so say it ain't <laughs> so <laughs> Or, dude oh here's a good one in your professional opinion do you think you could rock a handlebar mustache
1: <laughs> no ways man no ways absolutely not uh, I have a hard enough time just growing in a little bit of peach fuzz. I, my, if I do let my beard grow out even for a couple of months, it's real patchy and it's not much going on. So uh, no ways I can rock a full mustache, man. It'd be too itchy, too. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, dude, like, I, I trimmed my mustache there like it was real bushy, but I, I trimmed it down a bit. And I, I, you see in the middle here, I, can, I can't I can grow hair there for the life of me. Mm. Like I can grow hair here, not much here, but none here. I call it the reverse Hitler because I just can't get hair here in the <laughs> middle.
1: <laughs> yeah, you rock it good, though, man. You look good.
0: Uh, so, uh, so, dude, up until last week, I had a mohawk. Like, you can see on my profile picture because I'm so lazy. I never change them. You know, I'm terrible with that. Yeah. Or man, uh, what would you say is your favorite song to roll to in the gym? Like, do you have a favorite song, genre of music? Like what, What's your thing?
1: um yeah kind of with the same thing as movies man like i'm i'm really bad at remembering songs and artists and doing that but
0: if you have uh, a genre in particular
1: yeah why well, I, I like uh i like skrillex um i i uh did a walkout song for my last fight to win for Skrill- uh, with skrillex and I, I like their music to kind of get me a little hyped before i train
0: mm. now a really good song i like that if i had if i ever had a super fighter ensign this would be the walkout song it's iron by wood kid because the start is is like these dr- old like damascus drums like like i'm terrible at doing like i just I,
1: i'm taking notes man i wrote down down i'm gonna go look it up after we're done here
0: <laughs> yeah. if only i took notes <laughs> maybe i would have done better in school if i took notes <laughs> <laughs> all right um i got a bit of a moral uh, conundrum here for you if you're up for it which uh, yeah, would, sure. would you rather cure cancer or solve world hunger? Oh man, I'm gonna
1: pass on that one, man. That <laughs> one's that one's... <laughs> no,
0: That's fine, God, man.
1: man. That's a hard one,
0: man. <laughs> no, that's good. On uh, a on a on a lighter note, what would you say is uh, your jujitsu spirit animal? Like, what sort of animal encapsulates your game? The way you sort of, the way you move, the way you implement moves, like smashing people like a gorilla or dancing around them like a fucking I don't know a water buffalo or something. I don't know. <laughs> um,
1: no, that's a good question. <clears throat> I'm not. I'm not nearly as strong as a gorilla. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of gorillas that I roll with. So I wouldn't uh say I'm that because I'm I'm a smaller guy. I would say maybe a cross between a a lion and a monkey. Lion because they're a little bit more ferocious. Uh, I like to push the pace. You know when I roll. Uh, but I also like to kind of float and jump around too. So I'd say maybe a cross between a lion and a monkey.
0: <laughs> okay, some weird chimera thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we reached the last question. Are you ready for the last question? If I had drums, i do a drum roll. <laughs> uh, so, Brandon, if you created a guard in jiu-jitsu, it doesn't matter what the grips are, what sort of configuration you have with the legs, doesn't matter. Let's just say if you invented a guard today, what would you call it?
1: Oh, man. Um... I guess it might depend on on what it looks like or where you know what the position is, but um, I guess I guess I'll, I'll take this question and be a little bit selfish since I uh had a pass on my last question, but um, uh, I'll just call it the gross guard, I guess. You how, know? About, how
0: about about yeah. gross gross e guard like that that that's, that rolls a bit off more that's a bit more ironetic
1: yeah mm. yeah know I, exactly
0: I, that. I know we'll, we'll workshop it. I
1: got I got teased a lot with my last name growing up, so let's uh, put Ooh, it. How, how, about, how
0: about how uh, how about G guard? Because there's G guard. G guard.
1: G guard. That sounds good, man. I go with that.
0: If K guard's a thing, G guard.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to hit you up next time. I need a, a creative uh, name for something that I don't have a name for
0: or how about uh name your first instructional g uh real g guard like (laughs) real real motherfucking g's like that song that's a great song (laughs) did you ever hear uh uh sorry just uh real the way they say it in the in the in the in the song like real mother don't just hear some some guy with no rhythm read it out it's like real motherfucking g's huh (laughs)
1: it's
0: like when William Shatner would like do spoken word versions of rap songs (laughs) what a strange man Okay, so guys, that's all we have time for today. If you want to see Brandon on Inton, it's at David vs. Goliath BJJ. I'll have it all in the description anyway. His amazing YouTube channel. Uh, go subscribe. He's put out some great stuff lately. Don't be a bunch of dickheads. Go subscribe. <laughs> I just call my whole audience dickheads, but whatever. And uh, follow him on Instagram at David vs. Goliath BJJ. Uh, on Facebook, I'll have his Facebook there if you want. And so, Brandon, did you have anything to say before we shoot off?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was actually. Um... Wanting to share with you guys a, re, a free resource I created for you all. Um, it's called, um, let's see here, I'm Drawing a Blank. The first time I'm drawing a blank today's call, but it's an ebook, uh, How to Be a BJJ Giant Slayer. There you go. <laughs>
0: okay. Uh,
1: yeah, 10 things that every guy needs to know in order to survive and thrive against the biggest guys in their gym. Uh, so, again, I was the smallest guy having to roll with, you know, my instructors were all 200 plus pounds. So, trying to navigate my jiu-jitsu journey being in a sea of you know big sharks big dudes so uh it's a free ebook you guys can check it out on uh, bjjgiantslayer.com and uh get get your free copy
0: Mm. i'll have that in the description below guys as well so you can just click it and be be gone with it so guys thanks for listening hope you enjoyed and as always follow me at human Jiu jitsu and at human ziu-jitsu podcast so thanks guys adios okay so guys thanks for listening all the way through and as always if you want to follow us on social media it's at humanity jitsu at humanity jitsu podcast at Con gracie and at shawnee judo jits if you have a suggestion for someone for a guest to come on to the podcast or a topic for an episode just shoot us a message on instagram we're very approachable i swear we're so, we're so down to earth I'm so I'm, I'm not even joking <laughs> uh, but if you have any suggestions we'd love to hear them. adios for now